Well, good afternoon and welcome to Your DIY Health here on the Spreaker Radio Network. I'm your host, Sergeant Jim Ram, retired. You can call me Sarge, and I got Ziva riding a shotgun with me here today. And it's Thursday, October, or October, no, August 10th, 2023, August 10th, 2023. And uh, we're going to be talking history, constitution, all kinds of stuff today. But this show is dedicated to our dear friend, Robert Hudson who apparently uh, passed away on June 19th of this year. And uh, we're going to be talking a little bit about Robert here before long. And uh, before I do that, just want to mention, uh, check out the website, yourdiyhealth.com. That's Y-O-U-R-D-I-Y, like do-it-yourself, health, H-E-A-L-T-H, yourdiyhealth.com. Check the main website page and the uh, links page. And there's lots of great information there about things that you can do to support the show. That being said, we're going to move right into today's show. And we've got Mike and Cal and DW with us. And I'm just going to turn it over to Mike and uh, take it away, sir. Welcome. Thank you, Jim. I, I certainly appreciate that. And, man, you know, you and I text earlier and our minds were running in the same direction. Uh, what a loss. Uh because I just realized, going back and looking at some messages, of course, I remembered this, but I didn't remember exactly how it happened. But I actually had the email, I'm not email, but the voice message from Robert, which put us together, Jim. Wow. And, buddy, it's been longer than both of us remember, I think. That was in 2018. Has it been that long? Mike, five yeah. years. Wow. Yeah. That's amazing. So, and, but Robert was, I don't know, he's just such a unique man, such a unique individual. And, mm -hmm. uh, you know, he would call me and, you know, if I was busy or something, he would leave, you know, messages, uh, you know, voice messages and, you know, joking uh, about different things. And, and then we would have some very in-depth conversations many times. Uh, on history, and, and then he used to razz me about sports. He loved sports, knew all the statistics, knew all that stuff, and he would call me up and, you know, start to said, well, let me tell you what happened. I was listening to one this morning. Let me tell you what happened in the game last night. I know you just can't wait to hear. <laughs> and, yeah, you know, just, think, just things like that, but that was Robert. I mean, mm -hmm. you know, and guys, will we ever forget, yeah, 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 yeah. Oh yeah. Uh, Can we ever forget that? I mean, that that was Robert, <laughs> and just such a special guy. And you know, uh, <laughs> oh my, yeah, there it is. Um, guys, what I would like to do is just for right now for each one of us to kind of uh, talk about a memory we have of Robert. I think he deserves that. Go ahead, guys. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, uh, can you hear me okay? Am I coming through all right, Sarge? Loud Mike? and clear. Yeah. Okay. Good. Five by. Well, uh, yeah, I just uh, I just learned about this about when you started talking here about uh, five minutes ago. So, uh, strangely enough, I don't know if it was this morning or yesterday. <laughs> I was going, you know, I haven't I haven't heard from Robert in a while. 
because you know he would call me. Uh, I don't know. We would usually talk uh, at least once a month, sometimes a couple times a month. And I, I haven't, I hadn't heard from him. Last time we talked, you know, I, I asked him. I said, "Well, hey, you doing okay? Yeah, I'm, I'm doing. I'm okay. I'm going to be fine. Yeah, I'm all right. Was, you know, I don't, I don't think he was. I don't think I was convinced. You know, but he was. That's what he was saying. And uh, <clears throat> he could always, uh, he could always manage to uh, come at you from an angle." When you were talking about something, he would always surprise you. He would come at it from an angle that you'd almost never thought of or heard of, and uh, and ask a question or have a perspective, and and that's uh, you know if you, that's a sign of a very intelligent man, and uh, <clears throat> you know he participated in any number of shows with us, you know, over the years, Mike. Right, Sarge. Oh yeah. And, oh yeah. Uh, yeah, and uh, always, always brought a lot, uh, always brought a lot to the conversation, and uh, he uh, he had a very uh, unique sense of humor, and uh, it was very articulate as well. And, oh, uh, very, very, very intelligent. Very. Pardon me for interrupting you, D.W., but when you said it made you laugh, one of the things I heard when I was going through the messages was, and it just cracked me up because it was Robert. Robert says, you know we have a secret pact. And I said, no, Robert, I didn't know we had a secret pact. He said, yes, we have a secret pact. I don't tell anybody you're white. You don't tell anybody I'm black. <laughs> That's Robert. <laughs> uh, oh man. Yeah, he he would. I don't know. I don't know about you, but he would call me up or leave me a message, and he would say, "Okay, okay, Flyboy, you you said something that tickled tickled yeah. my uh, tickled my ears, my, my brain, or tickled, <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah." And he, he's always he's always that was one of his uh, one of his lines, and. Uh, yeah, uh, and you could always you could always uh, count on him for sound effects too. You know, wah wah wah, and uh, and and very. Sometimes he could be terribly punny in a, in the best way. Very punny, very punny guy, and uh, puns are intended. And uh, and uh, he was very uh, one of the or probably one of the more serious. Parts about Robert that I uh, was left with, and knowing him, I actually known Robert on. Uh, I guess it probably goes back probably uh, seven eight years, right? Uh, oh yeah, back to Roger's show. Is that? Yeah, he uh, <clears throat> has it a. Uh, he he demonstrated a an. Ex I would say, if it's possible, to have an extreme sense of loyalty and a, an integrity to his uh, his character. And loyalty and integrity is what comes to mind. So, somebody else's turn. Gal? 
well, I knew Robert, you know, from this show, and he always struck me as a very intelligent gentleman with uh, a strange and sharp sense of humor. And yes. And I always enjoyed his, his participation. He was quite insightful on a lot of things. He'd bring up a point that just totally had escaped me, and he'd point it out in one of his you know, usual ways of wit. And I always enjoyed listening to him. I was going to miss him. Well, the last message I got from him <laughs> was really funny. He said, now I know, Mike, I know this is going to make you very angry because I know how much you love Garth Brooks. <laughs> just cracked me up because he knew just the opposite was true. I was queuing something up. Uh, where'd our sound go? Mike, you still I don't there? know. Yeah, I'm here. Okay. We okay? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I, everything just kind of went dead on me there for a second. Hmm. Yeah, continue on. All right, it was, uh, and, you know, because we had been, you know, I had told him that it really troubled me uh, years ago because uh, there was a time, well, I still am a fan of some of uh, Garth Brooks' music. I can't... Uh, you know, throw the baby out with the bathwater, but uh, uh, we—he and I had just prior to that had a real long discussion about how many times that uh, Garth Brooks went to the White House to visit with uh, Obama and and Michael. So uh, we were, you know, we had joked and laughed about much of that, and but he did—he had that very sharp wit and the and you know I love your terminology there, D.W. Punny, yes. He was, and he, he was just what a unique individual and what a loss to humanity and what a loss to the true pursuers of freedom and liberty because Robert was one of those. And I just, you know, I remember the last time I talked to him, and he, like you did, D.W., he was not doing that well, but he was telling me, you know, I'll, I'll be better in a couple of days and I'll give you a call. And... Uh, I never got that call. And I went back and looked on Skype. I'd left him several messages on Skype, but, you know, and even tried to call him a couple of times and uh, to no avail. And then when I looked at Skype, the last time I called him on Skype was the day before he passed away. Wow. <clears throat> yeah. Um... As a matter of fact, that's almost almost verbatim what he said to me last time. I said, uh, "You doing all right?" And then he, uh, before we left, he says, "Well, I says I'll, I'll get back to you soon." And uh, I don't remember exactly when that was, but it never happened. So, do we, uh, uh, Sarge, or do? Mm -hmm. How how'd you find out about Robert and uh, well it was actually and do uh, we know what happened to him Tuesday afternoon um, I had at the end of my show I mentioned that I hadn't heard from Robert in a while and I asked folks to uh, if anybody on the line had heard from him or knew what was going on and nobody knew anything so after the show was over I did what I really hated to do which was a web search for obituaries and uh, found one 
out of uh, Oklahoma City or Oklahoma. I can't remember exactly where. Um, yeah, it was Oklahoma City. And they mentioned that he had been, uh, his most recent thing was in uh, uh, Nevada. In, yeah. yeah, Nevada. And um, which was the Sparks, Nevada, which is where I knew he had been living. And then it had a picture of him, which I remember every every so often when uh, Robert would log into Jitsi, he'd forget to turn his camera off. Yep. And his picture always came up upside down for some reason. <laughs> but I said, that's Robert. And I saw that, and I said, yep, that's him. I just hated to think of it, but uh, that pretty much confirmed it for me. And uh, yesterday during the afternoon show i read his obituary and we talked about it and that kind of thing and uh you know i just most of our conversations were usually obviously about health related stuff at least most recently and he had been uh, you know back around christmas he had spent about a week in the hospital with uh, uh they didn't know what was going on but he'd had to have blood transfusions and a bunch of other things and i'm kind of wondering if he got some tainted blood from the jabs that may have uh, precipitated a lot of this, but uh, they, exactly my thought. Yeah, at one point yeah. they um, found a tumor in his uh, intestines, and uh, he was calling and asking about nutritional things, and of course using the Itericare and that kind of stuff. And I'm afraid it was just a little bit too a little too late, kind of a deal. And uh, uh, the last time we talked, he was sounding good. You know, he was very upbeat, and that's the thing, no matter how bad he was feeling, I think he always tried to put on a good uh, face, and um, so we really didn't know what the deal was, but um, I think the last time we talked was probably uh, late April, well, no, it was probably closer to May, I think, but uh, then after that, Mike and I have been going back and forth from time to time, saying, you heard from Robert, you heard from Robert, you know, getting worried, and... uh, wasn't misplaced and unfortunately um you know and one of the things that really saddened me was the fact that there was no mention of what was going on physically for him in the obituary um didn't give him you know a good idea of what took place and why he uh, passed this so passed so soon he was only 62 and um I'm still wondering if I can't try and figure out a way to, you know, if I can get a hold of the uh, funeral home, I might be able to reach out to the family. Uh, I would love to uh, talk to some folks and get a little more in-depth stuff. But the one thing I remember, he was just, he loved learning. He he, he loved seeking after knowledge and the truth, not the crap that we get from so many places in this, in this day. But he was always a he was a true tourist seeker, and uh, didn't make any difference where it came from. And you know if it hurt or not, he'd rather have the truth than have his ears tickled. And of course, that's when he always says, "You tickled my ears." I said, "Uh oh, no, I was telling you the truth." <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But you know, it was uh, you know there were so many things about Robert that was just you know just special. And uh, I regret never having a chance to actually meet him and shake his hand and hug his neck. But I know one of these you know, days I will. I uh, hate to be cliche in a comment, but I, I think Robert deserves this. My yeah. life is better for having known him. Yep, mine too. 
Oh, here, here. Here, yeah. here. Yeah. Just a wonderful guy. <laughs> I can... I, I, I was, my mind was just running there a little bit. I can, I can hear him now. He, he, I, he'd call me, and his name would come up on the caller ID, and and uh, he was always, he was always teasing me about making ape hangers, and uh, that was one of his favorite ways to tease me was uh, selling ape hangers, because, <laughs> and. Uh, and and Robert and I would joke around with each other, uh, <clears throat> and if if you didn't know if you didn't know that we were friends, you thought we were uh, being rude to each other because yes, he'd infer he'd infer that I was a, a racist honky and and uh, and uh, and I I would you know. He'd say, "Well, you, you selling ape hangers?" And I said, "Only to apes." I said, "What do you want?" <laughs> and 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 he we 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 would tease each other like you know uh, making make white remarks actually, and uh, in private conversation. And that was one of the great things about Robert is that he could. We could actually uh, address each other's humanity and, and talk uh, candidly about mm. black issues, and uh, that's pretty—that's actually very unusual. And uh, he, uh, I never, I never. Uh, I never took offense, and I never heard, I never heard him being offended. He was, uh, he was brutally honest, and he would get brutal about it, in the best way, you know, in the pursuit of the truth. And he would say, "Yeah, you remember him saying he goes, uh, he'd call in, and he'd, uh, he'd say, you know, you're making my ears twitch. Or <laughs> my ears I are may. twitching." <laughs> <laughs> And uh, you know, uh, so yeah. Well, guys, I, I was uh, just oh, I'm sorry, DW. I was no, just looking no, at I was just looking at the last Skype message I got from Robert, and it was a he sent me a uh, a film clip of the Lieutenant Governor for the state of North Carolina, a black guy who had announced that he was running for. Uh, Governor of North Carolina, and Robert says, "Look, honky, don't you dare say what this man just said, because you won't be around long." <laughs> yeah, that's Robert. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> yeah. I... But you know, D.W. That just yeah. made me. That made me think because you you yeah. experience you experienced the same thing I did. What kind of country would this be if everyone got along like we did, regardless of skin color? Amen. Right. Well, I mean, like like we did with Robert, or yes, no, or, like uh, we did Brandon with Robert. Or, or, I don't. I never have Robert, liked you. Never. I'm talking about Robert. No, I know. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> <laughs> I agree with you. Yeah. Uh, or 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 with or with our. Uh, 
our big our big brother, you know, Brent Bachman, right? You know, yeah. Uh, you know, uh, you know, if if the rest of them would take lessons, uh, you know, we'd uh, <clears throat> we could all gang up on the real enemy. Absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. But that's why they split us. That's why they keep working towards that split. And uh, that's why, you know, it made me th also think I was able to share uh, yesterday uh, the uh, PDF of uh, Manning Johnson's book with a lady. And she, a black lady, she was just blown away. And she said, why don't we know about him in a black community? And I said, well, you know, <laughs> what can I say? But she she read that, uh, what was it, Color, Communism, and Common Sense. She started reading it, and then she yeah. called me. She called me and she yeah. said, "She said I've never heard of him." Why? And I said, "Well, you've heard of all of the nasty black people. Why haven't you heard of the good ones?" Mm -hmm. Yeah, you, you've you've heard of what you've heard of is all the ones they wanted you to hear of. All the ones they paid. Yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> right. They they had to, you know the the curriculum is based upon a return on investment. And they're, this is the this has been their return on investment, uh, you know. So they've put a lot of money into this. Oh, and, big time! Uh, and then, and whenever you invest in something, you want to return. Yeah. So Absolutely. The return on investment. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, my mind will be this afternoon. <laughs> I know where mine was all yesterday, and you know, and, and last night, and I was going back and listening to those messages and everything. And uh, you know, the, the thing I can tell you, you know, I never met him, and was never fortunate enough to meet the man face to face and shake hands with him, but I loved him. Amen. Oh like yeah, a brother. Close. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, you know it's. Um, I've had uh, I've had a couple of these uh, conversations in the last couple of years here, and it, it just sort of drives a point home that uh, you're not guaranteed tomorrow. Don't take it for granted. This is not a rehearsal. <laughs> uh, and. <clears throat> you know, from my point of view, for whatever that's worth, uh, he made a difference in my life, and and he he did make a difference. Yep. And he was unashamed. He was not bashful. Uh, and he, uh, I think, he would have demonstrated a, a uh, unusual amount of courage in uh, in comparison to. Uh, other people call themselves a man in this society, black or white. So, Gary was asking in the chat, how did you all come in contact with him in the beginning? He, he, originally, we got him through Roger's show. Yeah. Um, we picked him up there, and then he started listening to my show. And then uh, the thing I'll be most thankful to him for is years ago when he... Uh, started bugging me about having this crazy guy named Mike Gaddy on my show. 
<laughs> hey, wait a minute. We're talking about the good things about Robert here now. Let's not push him down, okay? Uh, I consider that one of the best things. Um, I I can't imagine how much dumber I would be <laughs> if I had not had Mike and now Cal and DW also on this show for every Thursday for the last several years. And I, I owe it to Robert. So much history I would not know uh, had it not been for that, uh, you know, and he kept bugging me. Uh, I just, you know, I'm, I've usually got so many things going on, it's hard to get stuff going, but he kept pushing and pushing. He said, you need to get Mike Gaddy on. You need to get him on. And all it took was once, and I was hooked. And uh, I'll be eternally grateful to uh, Robert for that, if for nothing else. But we had some great conversations, but that was one of the things I really, really thank him for because the education that I've gotten over the years from these Thursday shows is just amazing. And how all, you know, it's what's really interesting is how this stuff comes together. Um, God works in strange, mysterious ways. And, you know, years ago he put on my head in my mind to do a, a radio show and I started out on TFR and Robert or uh, Roger was there you know right before me and that's how we got to know each other and then when Chris Geo kicked Roger off of TFR he came over and we started up uh, People's Patriot Network and that's when we found Robert or Robert found us and uh, things have just grown since then um, to where we have this little group here on Thursdays you know, with all the crap that's going on in the world, we've got this little bunch of people that get together and talk about truth and history and where we ought to be going. And uh, Robert Hudson's the one that got this part started. You know? Uh, it's just amazing. Just amazing. Well, as my grandfather used to say, the best thing you, for, you can do for someone who has passed is never forget them. Amen. Amen. And I will never forget Robert, I promise you. No. Jim? Yes, sir. Go ahead, Samuel. Yeah, I, I find it sort of curious for as long as you knew him that some family member or whatever didn't contact you because, well, maybe it was because of his research and his truth-seeking and his, maybe he just got, you know, abandoned by family or something like that. You know, it happens to a lot of us. I don't know. Well, Samuel? Samuel, I didn't want to mention that. I, I really didn't. Robert and I did talk about that. And let me put it this way, to be as mild as possible, he and his family, he and his sisters did not get along. Yeah. And I think, it, I, th I think it was philosophically uh, a, a split. And, uh, you know, for whatever reason, I never pursued it. I always told Robert, Robert, I'm here to listen. If you want to tell me something, you tell me, but I will not pry into your private life. And that was one of our agreements from the very beginning. You know, we didn't, you know, we didn't push each other in, the, in those directions. But if somebody wanted to share something and talk about it, that's the kind of relationship we had. And I, I just got the feeling over several years that he just, you know, uh, and and some of it even I think it even got worse with the COVID thing if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, yeah, he's probably the white sheep of the family. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I was thinking. 
Yeah, I, I vaguely remember mentioning something about it. I never dug into it either, but I think he mentioned that to me as well quite some time ago. And that's a shame because they missed out on oh, knowing big somebody time. who was just phenomenal. Yeah, we, we were talking uh, last time we had a, an in-depth conversation. He was telling me that he was planning to move back to Texas. Mm. And he wanted to move to Texas for some reason, and... You know, and I said, man, you get closer, we've got to meet up, you know, and he said, well, we, we'll be certain to do that, we'll, you know, and uh, and then, you know, we didn't talk about that again, so I'm not sure what happened to his move to Texas, uh, but uh, as I understood it, it was a part of Texas that wasn't too far from someplace in Oklahoma that he was very familiar with, and him being, uh, his service being in Oklahoma would tell me that was true. Yeah, I think that's the kind of the family base, where they've got people all over. He's got a, a sister and brother-in-law. Brother-in-law's in a Marine uh, fighter group, or Air Wing, in Kaneohe Bay, um, Hawaii. So, yeah, I saw that as yeah. well. But um, yeah, it, that's where he even he was born in, in Washington State. I think it was an Air Force base, and then. Uh, the family moved to Oklahoma, and it seems that's kind of like where everything went from there. Became the home base. But uh, I just look at this picture over and over, and I see I keep seeing it upside down. <laughs> <laughs> With those glasses and that big smile. I tell you, that's, that's, that's Robert. That's Robert, and I don't know how many times last night in my head I heard, yeah oh my goodness fond memories oh, oh very much so and you know I, I like that term that they use so many times celebrate the life of mm -hmm. and that you know and I that I think Jim is what we have tried our best to do for our good friend and brother Robert Hudson yep and I would like uh I started before the show, I was playing this song, and I think it's really appropriate. I want to go ahead and play Coming Home Again, the whole, in its oh. entirety. So here we go. This is for Robert. Thank you, buddy. I had it queued up, and it didn't work right. Let um, me get this back. We don't have the narration, just the singing. Here we go. Listen, 19-hour flight. From Saigon to Seattle It's a long, long night But I'm finally coming home By the morning light I'll be back in Texas I'll Watch the sun rise across the prairies And warm these weary bones it was a year ago today That I went off to battle 365 days I counted everyone In all those days of hell In all those nights of darkness Lord, I was so far away, but there was Texas in my soul. Mm -hmm. 
I'm coming home I'm coming home I can almost see the windmills And the cotton fields and farms I'm coming home I'm coming home Come and meet me, Mama Let me feel your loving arms I can't wait to see my family Eat some home-cooked meals Crank up that old Chevy And hook them down the road See if I can find old Carrie See if we can find some ladies Ain't been with no lady Just a little bit too long Still the truth be known I'm just a bit uneasy Feel like I left a part of me Back in Vietnam I just can't see things the same way Not with what these eyes have seen Almost feel like crying I feel so all alone But I'm coming home I'm coming home I can almost see the windmills And the cotton fields and farms I'm coming home I'm coming home Come and meet me, Mama Let me feel your loving arms Come and meet me, Mama And let me feel your loving arms Rest in peace, brother. We love you. Robert Hudson, 62 years old. Anybody else want anything they want to say, jump on in. Somebody's unmuted. Who wants to speak? We're not gonna we're not gonna shut this off any you know we'll go as long as anybody wants to have a memory of Robert so go ahead. Uh, gentlemen, this is Bruce. Um, yeah, Bruce. I don't I didn't know the guy, but I know him now. Thank you. You you really missed out. Anybody else? Mm. I I just really hope, guys, that uh, God doesn't get tired of hearing. Nyah, 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 nyah. <laughs> yeah, well, he <laughs> don't he only have himself to blame. He made him. <laughs> God's got a sense of humor. Uh, I love it. Yeah, I can hear 
I can hear that ego. Uh, let me ask you a question. I can just hear the way he. Uh, yeah. He had his own. It would kind of draw it out, you know, and uh, I have to. I have to go back in the archives and find one of the one of the shows he was on. Yeah, I was thinking the same thing. Hey guys, uh, yeah, that might be. DW, yeah. D, DW, help me with something a second. Didn't we do a program with Robert? You oh and yeah, I did one, Mike. Uh, at one. Point. Yeah, Mike, you did a show with him. Yeah, your yeah. Guest. yeah. I, I'm now. I have to find that. You guys have. I've got to find that. And Jim, maybe uh, next week we could uh, replay portions of that. Yeah, I'm going to do some digging. I may actually have a recording of that, um, trying to remember, because the first show you ever asked me to do was with Robert, and that's the right. one where I, I forgot. <laughs> and then we it was on Slush to, Fund to Radio, if I recall later. right. It was one well, of your shows think, on Slush Fund. Yeah, that, I, we did one there, but we did one back on Revolution Radio, too. Okay. Maybe it was Revolution Radio, when you went yeah. over to Revolution. Yeah. yeah, it was back in that yeah. that during that first era of that, you know, the end of Slush Fund, the start of Revolution. Right. For, well, for yeah. the other way around. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I I remember uh, back back on back on Revolution Radio, he was on uh, he was on one of the uh, addicted to our own destruction conversations right. early on. I mean, like in the first. First, uh, you know, I think he was on uh, within the first ten shows that we did, Mike, on uh, "Addicted to Your Own Destruction" on Revolution Radio. I agree. It's right. It's right in that area. Uh, so, yeah, he would always. Uh, he he was kind of a. He was kind of a radio audio stalker. I mean, he would he would listen to an hour or two hours of conversation, then he'd bushwhack you in the last five minutes. Remember that? You know? <laughs> yeah. He had a, a habit of calling in the last few minutes. Well, gosh, Robert, now we got to wait until next week to finish this. You know? Right. He was always doing that. Yeah. He was always doing that. <clears throat> was he a veteran? Yeah, he actually, and that's something else I didn't know. He was a uh, a lieutenant in the Army Reserve for about eight or nine years. Yes, he was. Yeah, yeah. first lieutenant. Mm -hmm. he, and he was yeah, a I real patriot. In the true sense of the word. You know, I've I've come to I've been I've been working on that uh, that word been working on me for the last week. That word patriot, mm -hmm. and uh, it's uh, I uh, I've pretty much in my mind anyway come to the conclusion it's uh, it's a very much uh, distorted and I could even say the perverted it's yeah. been been used in a perverted way uh, and and I'm not sure in my mind anymore that it's accurate um, I. Uh, I was reading a, uh, I was reading a uh, article from Mike here yesterday or day before, and it kind of cleared it up for me. I, uh, 
I prefer I prefer the uh, the identifier as rebel. Bingo. I think I think the rebel is is what that word's trying to say is rebel because that's that's what they uh, that's what the British refer to the the Minutemen as mm-hmm. rebels. Lay down your arms, ye rebels. rebels. Yep. <laughs> right. And uh, oh, I was, when when those uh, yeah. rebels met the redcoats, were they defending Britain, their country? Because remember, they were Englishmen at the time. So somehow patriot somehow has become meaning to defend your country. And then you look at the Minutemen and you call them patriots and they took up arms against their country of England. They were shooting their fellow subjects, British subjects. Let's not forget those crazy rebels from the south here. Exactly. So I think you know a proper understanding of the term patriot would be one who defends the rights of themselves and their neighbors and stands against tyranny stands against tyranny Robert country be damned it's all about rights Mm -hmm. (laughs) yeah well we got this we have this uh, I don't know uh, sort of ingrained uh, I don't know this may be harsh to say illiteracy of uh, all these words that are just all mixed up in people's uh, minds and actions and perceptions. You know, uh, we got people that actually uh, seamlessly identify uh, government with their country. Yeah. Okay. It's just it just drives it gives me a, it gives me an aneurysm, and they they don't see any issue with that. Is uh, <clears throat> and uh, you know, words just get co-opted you know, and compromised. You, you can I, I, it's people. I look at them. I say you can you you confused your country and a nation with government. You've got that confused. And uh, so, words. You know what's that? You always say, "DW words mean things." They yeah, they do. do. Yeah, they, they do. do. Rush Limbaugh used to say that too. You oh, know, yeah. Rush Limbaugh used to say words mean things, and the way Rush Limbaugh used words was to uh, misdirect people. I'll just say that straight up. You know, he 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 was right. Words do mean things, and that's why he was so purposeful in the use of his words. So, uh, well, I guess one of the other oft-misused words, other than patriot, is founders or founding fathers. Mike and I were uh, in a discussion on that just today on Facebook. Uh, oh, oh, I just, I just, <clears throat> I, you know, I, I, I want to ridicule them. I'll do. I do. I'll just be. I'll just be honest about it. At this point. I just, I have to, when I'm around people, I sort of have to exercise some sort of discipline over myself so I don't mock and ridicule it too harshly. It, uh, 
uh, but uh, the 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 federal flounders, uh, you know, uh, the they they were the corporate creators, the corporate creators, and uh, uh, they. I I just look at people. I I try to keep some of the. You know what we talk about here a lot, and what Mike and Cal dig into uh, more than much more than I do. Uh, Mike and Cal are way more in command of the jots and tittles than I am with the Constitution and and the uh, the, the personalities of that period. Uh, and uh, I've learned. <laughs> Not enough. I need to learn more. Uh, but uh, I don't know where I was going with that. The uh, oh, I know. Uh, I try to. I try to keep it. I try to keep the cornbread version around people. Around you know when I'm face to face with talking. Uh, <clears throat> because the facts, the facts, and and uh, lecturing information. Uh, doesn't doesn't penetrate, but the cornbread questions sometimes do, and I go or a statement. You know, I, one I like to do is I go. You you do realize that the people that fought the Revolutionary War weren't the ones that wrote the Constitution. You do realize that, right? Or or you 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 do realize that. The, the people that signed the Declaration of Independence and the Patrick Henry's and the Articles of Confederation, those those people were different than the Constitutional Convention people. The founders or framers. Yeah, and and you know what? Most people most people have never ever considered that. Never thought of it. Uh, something I learned from Mike and Cal as I say to people. You, you do realize that the the uh, the Bill of Rights was an addendum to the Constitution that they didn't. It was two years after the end of the convention. They didn't they didn't think you needed it. They'd never heard that before. Little things like that, just little things like that. And I just lost all my power here, and I'm running on battery. How about that? Uh-oh. So I might I might be gone a little bit. Because my lights are coming off and on and off and on, but I got a battery backup, so. Hmm. Hope it holds out. Well, Lisa just posted a uh, link to a 1948 con uh, cartoon entitled "Make Mine Freedom," and I've got it queued up and ready to play. If anybody wants to uh, hear it and listen to it and watch, stand it. on it. <laughs> Let's go. Here we go. Mash the throttle. Mash it. America is many things to many people. To a 17-year-old kid, it's the malt shop on the corner. To Grandpa, it's the front porch in the cool of the evening. 
to mother and her family, it's church on Sunday morning. And to dad, it's his favorite relaxation. It's the Cracker Barrel philosophers in Crabtree Corners. And it's the tycoons in Wall Street. It's all races, creeds, and religions. It's freedom to work at the job you like. Freedom of speech and to peaceably assemble. Freedom to own property. Security from unlawful search or seizure. Where's your warrant, Flatfoot? The right to a speedy and public trial. Protection against cruel punishments and excessive fines. The right to vote. And to worship God in your own way. It is these freedoms that have made America strong. Okay, okay, so we got our freedom. But management's lousing up everything. Labor is at fault. It's ruining the country. My constituents, as your elected representative, I can assure you labor's right. Management's right. I'm strictly neutral. Labor, management, politicians, fully. Oh, they can't tell corn from oats. Work. It's only Hurry, hurry, step right up, folks. Here's the answer to your problems, Dr. Utopia's sensational new discovery, ism. Ism will cure any ailment of the body politic. It's terrific. It's tremendous. Once you swallow the contents of this bottle, you'll have the bountiful benefit of higher wages, shorter hours, and security. Enormous profits, no strikes. Remember, you're the big boss. Government control, no worry about votes. Name your own salary. Bigger crops, lower costs. Why, ism even makes the weather perfect every day. And now then, because we are introducing this amazing item for the first time in this country, it isn't going to cost you one cent. All you have to do is sign this little scrap of paper and you get your bottle absolutely free. I hereby turn over to Ism Incorporated everything I have, including my freedom and the freedom of my children and my children's children, in return for which said Ism promises to take care of me forever. Pardon me. Pardon me. And who are you, my good man? I'm John Q. Public. Ah, my fine friend, you're just in time to share this generous and gigantic offer. Sign right here. Mm. Mind if I read it first? Hurry up, don't you don't bother to read it. Keep your shirts on, boys. You know, including my freedom. Freedom? Well, sign away my freedom. Why, this is ridiculous. Don't be corny, brother. <laughs> sure, our system of free enterprise isn't perfect. But before we throw it away for some imported double talk, Let's turn the clock back a few years to see what it's done for us. For example, back in the 1890s, Joe Dokes was just a guy who liked to tinker around his barn. Some people thought Joe was lazy. Some even thought he was nuts. But one day, he had an idea.
And because he was free to dream and scream and tinker, Joe had a chance to make something of himself and his idea. So... Of course, some people didn't think so much of Joe's idea. But that didn't stop him. So Joe got some money from young Aunt Minnie and Uncle Angus and Grandpappy and Mr. Titus. When Joe's friends and relatives used their savings to help him buy tools and property, they were capitalists. Don't blush, folks. It's nothing to be ashamed of. Now, naturally, Joe needed some help. So he hired Willie Lumpkin, who was out of work anyway. And before long, Willie had the know-how and became skilled labor. Because capital, management, and labor worked together, Joe's idea grew. It grew and did things even he never dreamed of. Today, the automobile industry provides millions of jobs that never existed before. And remember, this is a story of only one industry. There are thousands more scattered all over the United States whose history of development is pretty much the same. We've built a country under the American system that sends more young people to high school and college than all the rest of the world combined. Why, even in the Depression, our wages bought more food, clothing, travel, and entertainment than the wages of any other people in the world. Our country has a national income equal to the total national incomes of any other six nation in the world. With only 7% of the Earth's we drive 70% of the world's automobiles. That's just a sample of the things the capitalistic system has given us in only 160 years. Before signing up, you boys ought to try a little taste of Doctorism's formula to see what you'd get in exchange for your freedom. Go ahead, try it. You can't do this to me! I'll strike! The state forbids strikes. Wait till the Union hears about this! Ah, yes, the Union. Welcome to our ranks, number 1313. I'll take this case to the Supreme Court. The state is the Supreme Court. Our decision is as follows. No more private property. No more you. Well, the farm folk will put a stop to this. Farmers don't vote anymore. Well, what'll I do for seed next year? You won't have to worry about next year. The state will do your planning from now on. We must fight to regain our freedom, or everything is lost. Everything! Everything is fine. 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 When anybody preaches disunity, tries to pit one of us against the other, 
through class warfare, race hatred, or religious intolerance, you know that person seeks to rob us of our freedom and destroy our very lives. And we know what to do about it. And now, gentlemen, no violence, please. And don't throw those bottles. Don't throw those bottles. No, no, no. together to produce an ever greater abundance of material and spiritual values for all. That is the secret of American prosperity. I probably could have stopped it a few seconds earlier so we didn't have that image of the memorial <laughs> at the end. My apologies for that. Didn't know it was coming. But, uh, comments? No, that's good. Yeah, it is. Very good. And I was just thinking, Jim, were you able to listen to my program last Saturday with uh, A.P. Hill's ancestor? I wish I had. I was totally tied up last week. My alarm well, on my of watch the went off, but I was in a place where I just couldn't tune in. I'm going to have to get to download. Well, he was talking about his battle in Richmond, Virginia, to try to preserve his ancestors' monument, which is actually a headstone because it was over his grave. And it's a violation of federal law to disturb a headstone. And so John was before the Richmond City Council and was saying, look, you shouldn't, you can't, by federal law, you can't tear down the monument because that's his headstone. A member of the Richmond City Council said to him, well, we can't have that image of the Confederacy there at that intersection, and you people should have known you should never have buried him at the busiest intersection in Richmond, Virginia. <laughs> oh, good grief. <laughs> and John's, John said, I was stunned. He said, I thought he was kidding. And he said, then, then I then looked at him and said, you do realize that was 158 years ago and they, cars weren't even invented yet. That's what voting gets you, folks. You get to vote those brilliant people into yep. office, and they make decisions for you. Yep. They're the ones that want you to buy your food, your meat at the grocery store where no animals were harmed in the production. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Good grief. <laughs> what a bunch of idiots. M Michael? Yes, sir. I got a little statement I'd like to read, and then I'd like to get your impression of... Uh, whether the Articles of Confederation were different in, in how they were ratified? Yes. Okay. There are those who believe that the, that the Constit, that, I, okay, I'm sorry, start over. There are those who believe there never existed a Constitution in that it was never signed by any principle to the government or any principle to the agreement and was merely witnessed, that argument may have some legal currency under contract law. 
what do you say to that versus the Articles of Confederation? Well, I think that the Articles of Confederation were much stronger than the Constitution, but they certainly weren't perfect in any by any stretch of the imagination because they were created by man. And, you know, as much as I love the Articles of Confederation, I also have to understand that under the Articles of Confederation, we got Robert Morris and the Bank of North America. Hmm. So that to me is a is a total negative but but then after the war was over and after the people were willing to do anything to win the war then that is when the article started taking effect on politics so without a war the Articles of Confederation, I, I feel like, were very, very good and they because they were very, very restrictive on the government. But I think, uh, and I hope I'm answering this in the way that you would like, but or at least what you were looking for, but one of the things is that whole phrase, we the people, is the biggest scam that's ever been, ever been played on uh, any group of people anywhere didn't have anything whatsoever to do with we the people and if you uh, uh, if you got if I didn't answer that question uh, the as you well, I, were what you were looking for let me know I guess the key in in this statement is who principled who is the principal to the agreement that should have signed it for it to be va a valid contract an agreement in the in He's basically just saying that the signers were just witnesses to what they had done, but nobody really gave any authority to agreeing to what was signed, right? In, in I actually, articles, I, were they done differently than that? No, they went to the state legislatures. Okay. And that, okay. that is where the, but the, uh, but Richard Henry Lee, who was in the Congress when the uh, new constitution reached the Congress, Richard Henry Lee proposed, let's put this to the same test as we did the Articles of Confederation. Let's put it to the state legislatures. and let's, Because they're the representatives of the people, but the Federalists would have nothing to do with that. They had uh, to have the, the conventions. Okay. Okay, that makes sense. But I think the lesson we learn from that, and that's one of the reasons we've been at war so many times, is because Ann Smedley Darlington Butler addressed this perfectly, as did, uh, I was trying to think of the gentleman who wrote uh, uh, War is the Health of the State. But anyway, they put it down exactly correct, that the whole temperament of a country changes when they're at war, quote, unquote, and they let the government do many things while they're at war they never would allow them to do if they, if they, if they weren't afraid that there's a war going on. Well, that's why we're constantly at war. Mm-hmm. Isn't that... Uh, is, isn't that exactly what... Uh, uh, Dodd, Dodd found 
when he was working for the Reese Committee, when Catherine Casey examined the uh, the records of the Carnegie Foundation, and yeah. that they had posed that question, and uh, amongst themselves, those being the foundations. This is, I think, somewhere back in uh, prior to World War One. Nineteen ten comes to mind in their uh, in their minutes, and that <clears throat> they had uh, studied this question long and hard. It was which was the best best way to uh, manage a or change the nature and direct a, uh, a nation's people, and they examined many things and what they found was that war was the most effective and efficient way to do that. Oh absolutely and the gentleman who tried to warn us about this and unfortunately he passed away before he finished it but here is if I may let me read this because I think this perfectly goes to the point and here's what he wrote with he first he says he talks about how governments work and the people are represented and everything else uh, which is preface to the uh, paragraph I'm, I'm about to read but then Bourne said and I quote with the shock of war however the government comes into its own again the government with no mandate from the people without consultation of the people conducts all of the negotiations the backing and the filling the menaces and the explanations which slowly bring it into collision with some other government and gently and irresistibly slides the country into war for the benefit of the proud and haughty citizens it is fortified with a list of the intolerable insults which have been hurled against us by the other nation for the benefit of the liberal and the beneficent, it has a convincing set of moral purposes which our going to war will achieve. For the ambitious and aggressive classes, it can gently whisper of a bigger role in the destiny of the world. The result is that even in those countries where the business of declaring war is theoretically in the hands of representatives of the people, no legislature has ever been known to decline the request of an executive which has conducted all foreign affairs in utter privacy and irresponsibility that in order that it ordered the nation into battle good democrats are wont to feel the crucial difference between a state in which the popular parliament or congress declares war and the state in which an absolute monarch or ruling class declares war but put to the stern pragmatic test the difference is not striking in the freest of republics as well as in the midst uh, 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 pardon me as well as in the most tyrannical of empires all foreign policy the diplomatic negotiations which produce or forestall war are equally the private property of the executive part of the government and are equally exposed to no check whatever from popular bodies of the people voting as a mass themselves the moment war is declared however the mass of the people through some spiritual alchemy become convinced that they have willed and executed the deed themselves they then with the exception of a few malcontents proceed to allow themselves to be regimented coerced deranged in all of the environments of their lives and turned into a solid manufactory of destruction toward whatever other people may have in the appointed scheme of things come within the range of the government's disapprobation the citizen throws all of his contempt throws off his contempt 
and indifference to government, identifies himself with the government's purposes, revives all of his military memories and symbols, and the state once more walks an august presence through the imaginations of men. Patriotism becomes the dominant feeling and produces immediately that intense and hopeless confusion between the relations which the individual bears and should bear toward the society of which he is a part. The patriot loses all sense of the distinction between his, his uh, country and his government, just as you said a minute ago, D.W. In our quieter moments, the nation or country forms the basic idea of society. We think, and, you know, I could go on and on with that one. And, uh, you know, I'll try to get the, uh, or maybe Murr can get the link to uh, Randolph Bourne, War is the Health of the State, and put it in chat for everybody. Ironically, ironically, Murr, you can find that at Marxist.org. Yeah, I'll try. What was that title again? Can you run it past me? It's uh, called War is the Health of the State. Okay, Randolph, who is this? R Randolph Bourne, B-O-U-R-N-E. B-O-U-R-N-E, thank you. Mm-hmm. Don't just breathe over there, Cal. Say something. I was just going through this conversation in my head, and you know, and, and it was interesting. It started out with you know a comparison of the, con the Constitution and the Articles of Confederation, and questions come up in my mind. Well, okay, who exactly? You know, it's called a contract. Well, a contract is an agreement between two or more parties. Can anyone exactly identify who these parties are? The signatory parties are to this con so-called contract called the Constitution. Was it the states? Was it the people? I mean, who are the signatories of this contract? So, if there's no real signatories, is it really a contract? Well, Cal, I know we that you know. We went through this. You went through this with um, Neil on one of your shows one day because right. he's a lawyer and understands this stuff. Right. And we see here's the thing I think people just they, they just can't get a grasp of and uh, again we're right back at the same thing is that the Constitution was submitted to a popular vote in one state and it was overwhelmingly defeated what does that tell you about we the people It tells you it's not the people. The people aren't signatories to it. The states aren't signatories to it. Who exactly is this contract between? So-called contract. Well, you know, that brought, I... brought up my thought of, is it really a contract? Or is it an article of incorporation? I mean, you can... If you looked at it as an incorporating document of a corporation, it fits that narrative. It fits that that format. It fits that. Well, the great lawyer Ellsworth said so. Uh, oh, Sherman. Sherman said it was. Right after, yeah. it, in the first Congress, he said this is a corporate body. Yes, Ellsworth did as well after. Yeah, he did too, yeah. Well, that's just it. They saw it, and it's like, uh, I don't know. And then, you know, then there's the other question. We keep talking about the government called the Articles of Confederation, 
but under the Articles of Confederation, there were no monopolistic police powers, which is a hallmark of government. So was the Articles of Confederation actually a government, or was it just sign of some kind of governing board or a committee? The Soviet, so to speak. That's a great discussion. They could, not, they could not enforce anything without all of the states agreeing to it, without consent of the governed. So all of the government. Yeah, yeah. So was Articles actually really a government? Is that one of the great things about the Articles? It really wasn't a government. It was just kind of an advisory board. And that left the people not being under the oppression of all of the states, just the particular state they happen to reside in. Which well, is Cal great, because now... Which I would now I'm not under the oppression of California, which I am under this Constitution, and I live in Arizona. <laughs> Go ahead, Mike. Well, well, that I think that is just such a great point because when we look at this, this Constitution was put together by a select group of people called the wealthy aristocracy, and they controlled the ratification and they controlled the creation of the Bill of Rights. The people had nothing to do with it. The people submitted amendments which were totally ignored. So how can so what, it, how can it be said that we the people? No, it's also the states. I mean, Pennsylvania if they divide them. For over 100, though. Go ahead, Cody. What? What was that? I'm just, I'm just confused. That you know, maybe it's just lack of information in the day. But you know, after removing duplicates, if there was a hundred. Uh, you know, amendments requested, and when they only ended up with 10, I'm just surprised that the states would have ratified it and not demanded more, you know. The, the states only got what they were sent. If the, yeah. if the wonderful Federalists in the first Congress would have followed the Constitution they wrote, if they would have followed that, every one of those amendments, once the duplicates were removed, every one of those amendments would have been sent to the states for ratification. That would have created consent of the governed. Yep. Here's a simple thing, Cody. Um, Virginia offered up 40 amendments, 20 called Bill of Rights, and 20, and 20 amendments to the Constitution. Now, Madison was a representative from Virginia. He could have just presented Virginia's. As it presented them. He, he didn't. He went through them, pulled through them, changed wording on some yeah. of them because he thought this will this will appease the people, this will pacify the people, but he changed the wording enough to where they had no effect. And Patrick Henry points this out in a letter. Um, it, he could have just presented those 40 amendments, which is, you know, as a delegate from Virginia, of course, you would think that's what he would have done, but that's not what he did. Yeah. But you know who did that, Cal? You know uh, who did? Yeah, uh, Richard Henry Lee. Richard Henry Lee and William Grayson to the Senate presented every amendment, all 40 amendments that uh, Virginia sent. They And uh, Richard Henry Lee mentioned it in a letter to uh, Patrick Henry. We presented our country's list of amendments. They referred to Virginia as their country. We submitted our list, but they were unanimous, almost unanimously rejected. The well, same thing happened to Thomas Tudor Tucker. He yes. he presented South Carolinas, and they yep. rejected them. He and Agnes Burke, yes. Yeah. Well, guys, I found something. Go ahead, Cody. 
I just say they just shouldn't have ratified the ten. They just should have said, you know, we refuse until we have all of them. But you know, I guess that's not the wrong. point of it is, Cody, you're not getting it. The people who d should have ratified the Constitution didn't. They were people selected by the Federalists to ratify the Constitution. But in the states, didn't the legislatures actually ratify it or no? The states were sent a They were sent fourteen amendments to ratify. That's all they had. They had no access to any of the others. They were sent 14 amendments. They reduced it to 10. Only 10 of the 14 submitted were ratified by the states and they became the Bill of Rights. Right. Well, let me back up. You said only certain people were allowed to ratify. Was, are you talking at, you're talking at the legislature? The whole legislature of the states did not vote on it is what you're saying? To, to ratify it? Right. Interesting. Yeah. Well, the ratification, the ratification didn't go to the legislatures, but you have to understand that by that time, the legislatures were almost completely dominated by Federalists. Yeah, exactly. Well, I'm kind of, you know, Lysander Spooner goes on and on, but I, you know, I mean, you just what, two arguments. You either say the law goes with the land and tough, you don't have to consent to it, or you say, no, the proper thing is everybody... Should, every generation should have to consent to it. I think that's the way it needs to be. Every generation should read, you know, should automatically well, have an amend, you know, constitutional well, convention. Jefferson, Jefferson, in a letter to uh, Madison, while Jefferson was still in France, after the Constitution had been written, and Madison forwarded a copy to Jefferson, which took, you know, what, six weeks to get there? But anyway, he sent him a copy of the Constitution. Jefferson wrote back his objections. Now, you're going to have one heck of a time trying to find these objections. But this was, this was to me, the Thomas Jefferson I approve of and I really thought was great. But Thomas Jefferson wrote back to Madison and said, look, one one group of people, one period of people cannot write legislation or create debts that their uh, progeny have to follow. You can't write a law, and he put it the way, this is where I think uh, Spooner got his original thing, because Jefferson said, once one group of people who have made a law once uh, or made a government, once all of them are dead, it, it's no longer in effect. Yeah, absolutely. I can't believe the way Spooner just goes on and on and on. It's almost too much. And I would encourage everybody that's not read it, look up, you can look at YouTube and just listen to it. Uh, Lysander Spooner, the Constitution of, was it No Treason? The Constitution of No Authority. And so is that, so common law says that that's how it, it always had been up until that point is that you would have to consent. Do we have any real historical argument to try to create some counter-propaganda nowadays to make that point? Well, the whole uh, war between the states was fought because the South did not consent. Yeah. That's, that's one of the reasons why they recognized, uh, the South recognized that they were a confederacy. That They didn't choose that designation arbitrarily. There was a specific meaning and reason behind the choosing the word confederate. It harkens back directly to 
the Articles of Confederation and that social structure that was adopted at that time. Okay, so it's a it's a very good conversation here because it's starting to break down why words matter. Okay, under the Articles of Confederation, the the uh, Congress, as it was, delegated uh, by their state. Now that's government again, but the organization, uh, they derived their rights and recognized where their rightful authority came from and precipitated it on, on the foundations of uh, God's authority. And under this construction, or under the Articles Confederation, it is a public civil society of the individual states. A public civil society. What you have after that is usurped by the Constitutional Convention is a private corporate society. A private corporate society and this goes to the question that you're asking is who were these people and by why by, and by what uh, Patrick Henry is outraged when he reads this. He hears this. He goes, "By what right do they claim we the people?" He knew right then that this was a private uh, uh, conspiracy. It was a cabal. It was it was something outside of a uh, uh, civil the public civil society. This was a private and it had constructed a federal system for the people and federal you can you can play with that word all you want to. It boils down to commerce and contract. Well, D.W., isn't that exactly what the Federalists said? The reason that they needed a new constitution was for purposes of commerce? Yes. Yes, they're telling you. <laughs> I, I'm, not, I'm not upset. I, I, I'm just, I'm, I'm sometimes just a little flabbergasted that, uh, that people don't comp comprehend the importance of the words that they're using and that are used. It's it's exasperating for me. Well, well DW, uh, let let me ask you. Let me in the vernacular of the inner city. Let me ask you a question. Uh, have you read the Virginia Ordinance of Secession? No, I haven't. 
Well, I think everyone should, and Murr, if you can find that, I think you'll find it at encyclopediavirginia.org. Uh, but uh, Wait, if I remember, you're looking for the Virginia Ordinance of Secession, April 17, 1861. I think you'll find it at uh, encyclopediavirginia.org. Here's the thing, and I think people don't look at this. Virginia was the one state that did it exactly legally as it should have been done. The Virginia Articles of Secession said, here, here was our agreement to join the, the uh, to under the Constitution, and here is what we agreed to in our ratification agreement. But the central government has violated the provisions of our agreement. The contract is therefore null and void, which is exactly contract law. Virginia nailed it, but of course they yeah. were ignored. Well, okay, so Cal was making some really strong inroads and points on some important language here. And so the Constitution, and it's referred to as a contract, and to what you're speaking to. Uh, these men, uh, I'd like to read that article, and maybe I have read it, but I've forgotten it. So could that happen? Well, uh, DW, yeah. I think, if I may, if I may, pardon me, but here, let me just read the, let me just read the first part of it. Full text and ordinance to repeal the ratification of the Constitution of the United States of America by the state of Virginia and to resume all the rights and powers granted under said Constitution. The people of Virginia and their ratification of the Constitution of the United States of America adopted by them in convention on the 25th day of June in the year of our Lord, 1788, having declared that the powers granted under the said Constitution were derived from the people of the United States and might be resumed whensoever the same should be perverted to their injury and oppression. And the federal government, having perverted said powers, not only to the injury of the people of Virginia, but to the oppression of the southern slaveholding states. Yes, they mentioned slaveholding states, people, because it was constitutional. And then they go, now, therefore, we the people of Virginia do declare and ordain that the ordinance adopted by the people of this state in convention on the 25th day of June in the year of our Lord, 1788, whereby the Constitution of the United States of America was ratified, and all acts of the General Assembly of this state ratifying or adopting amendments to said Constitution are hereby repealed and abrogated, that the union between the state of Virginia and the other states under the Constitution aforesaid is hereby dissolved, and that the state of Virginia is in full possession and exercise of all rights of sovereignty which belong and appertain to a free and independent state. And they do further declare that said Constitution of the United States of America is no longer binding on any of the citizens of this state. To yeah. me, that that's a home run. Okay, so so exactly to what they're talking to here, what they're talking to is uh, something I said earlier today, is that 
the uh, Constitutional Convention is unilaterally unilaterally attempting to bind others in a bilateral contract and and this uh, what I heard you read was uh, uh, Virginia Virginia objected rebutted and refuted that that premise <clears throat> they they understand something that's really important here and I want to tie this up with what Cal was talking about with the word con constitution covenant and contract this is an operating agreement it is a corporate operating agreement a internal corporate operating agreement of con contractees uh, <clears throat> for for private for private federal purposes okay it's it's exactly what it is it's it is uh, a corporate operating agreement and uh, I, I'm just sort of I'm sort of breathtakingly amazed I, I mean it literally takes my breath away to realize that uh, other people historians lawyers uh, somebody hasn't put this together that this is a this is a corporate operating agreement because that it, it's it's constructed like one the language is like one uh, it's it's uh, it's kind of disappointing you know and uh, but uh, well, but look at it, D.W., even today we've got people who say, well, if we will just appeal to the people who broke this contract over and over and over again, maybe they'll do what's right this time. Well, they, they have, they have, uh, they work that into their, the bylaws of their operating agreement, and uh, what, what we, uh, what we also have here is is people misusing uh, the word citizen, and when in all actuality, uh, what we're dealing with here are de not citizens but denizens in in Subjects. this in this in this realm. And and just to give you an understanding of this is. To make a denizen is to admit to residents with certain rights and privileges to enfranchise. Enfranchisement comes through uh, commercial agreements. Now, if you think I'm I'm pulling this out of my uh, backside here, I'm looking at my battery over here. I've probably got oh my power just came back on. <laughs> oh my goodness gracious! I was just about ready to lose my battery. Anyway. You can find the definition. You can find the definition to denizen, as I'm using it as a verb, in Webster's 1828. So if you have your, your 1828 Webster's, go look at that. Okay, mm -hmm. denizens. Denizens are prior, a part of a corporate commercial uh, franch enfranchisement 
this is what you are. You're not the you aren't citizens of your of a state like under the Articles of Confederation. You're denizens in commerce with the federal system. This is and and Virginia understands this. Uh, Patrick Henry fully well understands this. Why? Why? Well, they were lawyers. Okay, they get this. They they understand this. They they understand that this has been a an, an a usurpation. This is uh, an invasion of uh, yeah. DW, if I may, just make the the distinction here that the lawyers of that era were not members of the bar. Yeah. Okay. Please. Yeah. Please. I think that's critical. Well, you know the bar, the bar. You know, uh, it's it's first it's first priority uh, is to uh, serve the purpose of the sanctioning body of the bar. Okay. And what does the B stand for? Well, you can you can it has it's been associated with a number of things. One of them has been called the British Accredited Registry. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay, or the London Bar. Uh, yes. And, and of course, this is this is just a continuation. What we have go on in uh, during the uh, uh, post uh, War of Northern Aggressions, uh, the second. The Second Revolution uh, for, for for freedom and liberty. We have uh, a a corporate structure that goes to the next step. Goes to the next step of monopoly, and corporations want monopolies to monopolize. Absolutely. And and so here's let me read to you what a Marxist. And affirmed and avowed Marxists had to say about uh, the consequences of this legislation and this period after uh, uh, okay. eighteen. When, when did the when did the war end? When did the war end? Eighteen sixty-five. Okay. Here's what. Here's what. Here's what Horace Greeley. Hey guys, somebody's got an open mic there that's destroying us. Who's open mic? Oh, really? Yeah. yeah let me see here. All right. Okay. Fastest? 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 Okay. Horace, Horace Greeley. Got him. Okay. There we go. Horace Greeley says this. Uh, he says, We have stricken the slave shackles from four million human beings and brought all laborers to a common level not so much by the elevation of former slaves as by practically reducing the whole working population white and black to a condition of serfdom amen while boasting of our, while exactly. boasting of our okay <laughs> sorry buddy i'm sorry i can't help myself i i, I love you while boasting of our noble deeds, we are careful to conceal the ugly fact that by an iniquitous money system, we have nationalized a system of oppression, which, through more, uh, which though more refined, 
is not less cruel than the old system of chattel slavery. Now this is an avowed Marxist and one of Charles A. Dana's uh, buddies. Yep. And Karl Marx. Okay. Yes. Uh, he he nails it. Uh, oh, <laughs> I, I mean, uh, you know, saying the quiet things out loud. Thank you, Horace Greeley. Okay. And and this is just a continuation. Uh, serfdom uh, is is the highest level of property ownership. Yes. Uh, okay. Brilliant, D.W., so, brilliant, brilliant. Yeah. Sorry, buddy, but just brilliant. Thank you for this. Yeah, can you share that, well, D.W.? I mean, yeah, that was... <laughs> put that in touch uh, and share it somehow. <laughs> uh, I don't know. Tell Mar where it is. She'll do it. Well, I I have a I have a uh, I have a book here which I'm prone to do, you know, and a book? it has D W. No, it, it has 1,151 pages in it, and its author is Clint Richardson, and you'll pay you'll find that quote on page 464 of his book called Straw Man. Uh, so. Uh, you might find it. You might find that quote somewhere online with a search of uh, Horace Greeley. But it's it's powerful, and and it's um, it's unequivocal. It's it's completely unequivocal. All right. And so, uh, but this is this is just more of what a corporation does. Corporate. Consolidating shareholder returns and consolidation of power and monopoly is the goal of a corporation. DW, if I may, and and folks, uh, everyone listening, DW, that was just absolutely brilliant. I have that uh, what you just read. I've got that in a doc, the official document somewhere. I will try to find it so I can share it with everyone later so you'll have the official document with the Library of Congress stamp on it if anyone ever challenges you. And I will find that and I will get it to the group. But in the meantime, and I, I need to jump back just a little bit because I just found this, we had talked about how a country changes when it's at war. And that's why the government wants to have constant war. That's why John McCain said this war could last a hundred years. This is exactly what the Project for the New American Century designed. This is exactly why we've been at war since October of 2001. And let me read you, and everyone here knows I am no fan of little Jimmy Madison. I do not care for Madison at all, but even a blind hog finds an acorn every once in a while. And here is what Madison wrote. And I want you to compare this. Please, people, put it in your minds where we were prior to 9-11. And then we've been at war for 22 years almost since then, lacking, you know, a couple of months here, almost 22 years. Now think of what Madison said and apply that to where we are in this catastrophic government we have today. 
I don't care who's leading it. Democrat, Republican, makes no difference. We'd have been in the same place. But listen to what Madison said. And I quote, Of all of the evils to public liberty, war is perhaps the most to be dreaded because it comprises and develops every other. War is the patent of armies. From these proceed debts and taxes. And armies and debts and taxes are the known instruments for bringing the many under the dominion of the few. In War II, the discretionary power of the executive is extended. Its influence in dealing out offices, honors, and emoluments is multiplied. And all the means of seducing the minds are added to those of subduing the force of the people. No nation could preserve its freedom in the midst of continual warfare. Unquote. Thank you, Jimmy Madison. Yeah, the, now compare the, the, the pentagram is uh, really uh, considering uh, reinstating the draft. Mike? Yes, sir. As people of a mindset such as you or I or the other people in this group, you, you would read those words of Madison and heed that as a warning. But to someone who's a psychopathic, power-hungry person, they would read that as a blueprint. Yes, exactly, Cal. Exactly. Thank you, buddy. It, people just don't understand. Most people do not understand. Most people in power have a different mindset than the rest of us. And they convince you that, oh, you control us by your votes and all that. You don't. They, they have, want nothing but power. And Madison is explaining to, is, is he explaining to us a warning? Or is he explaining to his other power-hungry psychopaths, this is what we need to do? As duplicitous as he is, I think the latter. I, I would say to, so too. But because most people you know, don't think that way, they don't see it that way. Well, people, uh, I, I feel like uh, a couple of things here. Before we, well, we're, we're not, uh, we've got maybe 15 more minutes. But the one thing I want to emphasize to everyone, in case I forget it, and I am getting older and my memory is fading, I want everyone to, to know that tomorrow on Republic Broadcasting Network, on the uh, National Intelligence Report, I've got my two best buds here, DW and Cal. And we're going to broach a subject. How long has America been totally Marxist? Okay, then on Saturday, I've got the Sarge who's going to be with me on the Rebel Madman program on RBN. And we're going to talk about health issues. We're going to talk about, you know, the Itera wand. We're going to talk about different things. And, you know, there's nowhere, no telling where the conversation will go. But here is a great weekend for me. Friday, I've got DW and Cal. Saturday, I've got the Sarge. So I hope you people will be able to tune in. But I must warn you that you might have to call a number to listen because RBN is having quite a few computer problems as far as, you know, accessing. Go ahead. Go. 
they're good. They got their archives. They're running good. Everything's good. Thank you, Murr. I knew you would have the answer. Okay, and hopefully everything is still good this weekend, uh, you know, tomorrow and Saturday, because, guys, I am really looking forward to this. Uh, you know, we've got a lot to discuss about how long this country has been Marxist, and I could have no two finer uh, people to help me with that than DW and Cal. And then on Saturday, I just wanted to take the opportunity to spend two hours with, you know, my good buddy Jim. You know, you guys call him Sarge, I call him Jim. Uh, and that is fine. But I wanted to give my program the opportunity to address all of the good that Jim has been able to do for everybody. And I tell you, I've got, I could not have more respect for anybody than I do my buddy Jim and DW and Cal. So I hope you all will be able to listen. But also, I wanted to tell you folks something. If you wonder in any respect whatsoever why I get angry with people who appeal to this government, I would like to draw an analogy for you. If this government had killed your ancestors, murdered them, raped them, and stole everything they owned, what would you think if I went to them and begged them for help? That's exactly how I look at the people who appeal to government to help them. I don't give a d for what reason. And I felt like that I felt compelled to answer that. If you wonder why I get angry when people tell me, oh, well, I, the government's going to do this for me if I just file the right paperwork, that is my position. I'm not saying I'm right or wrong. I'm telling you how I feel. And I'm telling you about my passion. And I love all of you. I truly do. And one other thing I wanted to say before I shut up and let you guys take the rest of it. And that is this. DW and Jimmy put on a program in Gadsden, Alabama a couple of years ago. Almost a couple of years ago now. And that at that get-together, I got to meet Brent. And I got to meet some other folks. And then, you know, at the Dixie Fest, I got to meet Jim. I got to meet other people that I was able to meet that really mean a lot to me. And I was thinking about this a lot last night, guys, as I thought about Robert. I will always cherish the fact that in Gadsden, Alabama, I got to shake hands with Brent Bachman and his beautiful lady. I got to meet those people. I got to meet other people I had never met. Clint Richardson and other folks. I got to meet them. People, it would break my heart today if I knew that I lost another person that I cared for as much as I do Robert. And I never got to meet them. I never got to look them in the eye. I never got to shake their hands. And that's why I'm so thankful for that event in Gadsden. That's why I'm thankful for the Dixie Fest, the fall for Dixie, and all these other things, because I actually get to meet these people. My heart was broken when I realized that Robert had passed away, and I never, ever got to look that man in the eye, shake his hand, give him a hug, and tell him I loved him. Now I'm going to shut up and leave it to you guys. Thank you. All I can say is ditto. When did this happen? Well, when did what happen, Brent? June 19th. Uh, Robert, Robert. Hey, Brent. Wow. 
Yeah, I'm, I just yeah, found I've his obituary Robert a couple of o- days ago. Yeah, I met Robert over here probably about five years ago when he was driving a taxi. And we had a salad together and, you know, shot the breeze for about an hour. And then he had to get back to work. Wow. Brent, would you trade that? No. Well, I tell you what. I wouldn't trade in Gadsden, Alabama, sitting in that restaurant that night and looking across at you and your beautiful lady. And then our later conversations. That, to me, in so many ways, was a gift. And I'll cherish it forever. And, I, you know, and guys, I can't tell you what it was like to sit in a motel room with D.W. and Jim. I'd met D.W., but I'd never met Jim before. You know, and I, I realize I'm probably nuttier than a fruitcake, but guys, I wish that we could organize a meeting to where we could all get together again somehow. You know, where we don't have to have speeches or anything else, maybe just a get-together where people were able to, you know, shake hands and, and actually look into the face and tell people how much we care about them and how much freedom means because it's freedom and liberty that's brought us all together. And one of the things that I, I have determined to do is somehow, in some way, I'm going to find a way to meet Cal face-to-face. I've never had that opportunity. And the losing of Robert just just hit me right between the eyes. I've got to meet these people. I've got to let them know how much I care about them. And I don't know if it's possible in this day and time if we could all do that. But the one thing I do know is I ain't getting any younger. And you folks are special to me. Every one of you. The ones I argue with. The ones I don't agree with. You're still special to me. Hey, Mike. Yes, ma'am. It's Colleen. I'll tell you uh, what, one of the best times, one of my best memories always, sitting in that restaurant and meeting you and sitting next to you, one of the best, that's, oh, I, I, I tell Brent, I talk about you, not all the time, but yeah, Mike Gaddy's such a great guy, it was so nice sitting there talking to him and rubbing shoulders with you. <laughs> well, and, and lady, it was, you know, I remember that, uh, that uh, moment we had outside of the event where we were out on the sidewalk. I don't know if you guys remember that or not, but I kind of sneaked up on Brent. Hell yeah. <laughs> and and I got to admit, I just wanted to see his reaction. When I sneaked. <laughs> and, and it's, you know, but it's, there's something, and I realized how much I missed with Robert. Uh. And that's something I don't want to miss with the, with the rest of you folks. With you folks, I've never been able to sit down and talk with. You know, and that just became a goal for me last night and this morning as I was thinking about Robert. I've got to find a way to meet Cal and his beautiful lady, Joni. I've got to find a way to do that because time is running out on us. The government, folks, it's not going to get any better. It's only going to get worse. And I don't want those times to slip away from me. And I know we've uh, we've got another Dixie event that's scheduled on October the 28th. It's called Fall for Dixie. And I'm hoping, you know, that more people will be able to be at that. You know, but, you know, if maybe if we have to at some time figure out a midway point yeah, 
to where somebody doesn't have to travel farther, much farther than everybody else, somewhere we meet somewhere. You know, because I, I just think it means so much to all of us. And Colleen, you are one beautiful lady, and I am so envious of Brent. Oh, thank you so much. Oh, you got me blessing. <laughs> <laughs> I hope so. That was my intent. <laughs> and where, so the one you just told me, where's that event going to be? I, uh, the one, the Dixie Fest is Traveler's Rest, South Carolina. In October. Yes, October 28th. And I tell you what, if you and Brent could be there, as my grandpa used to say, if you folks will please pardon me, I'll change a little bit of the language here so we won't be offensive. But if you and Brent could be there, I'd be happier than a pig in poop. <laughs> wow. Well, I'll have to really think about that, but that would be great. Oh, it would. I tell you what, I'd love for you guys to be there. There's people there I would love for you to meet. I'd love for you to meet my buddy, you know, Stephen Douglas Whitener. I would love for you to meet the owner of the Dixie Republic and his wow. beautiful wife and, and, and the people who show up. The SAR, I mean the uh, coach who shows up in a kilt from time to time. Johnny Reb who runs the shop where he makes, uh, uh, you know, holsters and belts and, and, and other stuff. It There are so many... You know, it's it's kind of. I'm going to shut up. D.W. and uh, <laughs> D.W. and Jim explain what it was like to be at the Dixie Fest. <laughs> Go ahead, D.W. Uh oh, maybe his power went out. Yeah, it could be. Well, I tell you what, it was fantastic. No, I, it was. Oh, it, go ahead. It was like. Uh, it was like uh, going to a family reunion that you didn't know you had a family with. And uh, I, uh, I particularly enjoyed uh, the coach and Johnny Reb because they're very open, and uh, it was a great conversation, you know. And you know, just sitting there for me, it was like watching all the uh, the grandpas and grandmas uh, with their grandkids coming in. Oh yeah, and. And and I'm I'm talking like these little ones, you know. They're they're three, four, five, and six, and seven, and they're they're well behaved, and they were they were hanging out with grandpa and grandma, and uh, just the uh, just the spirit. Uh, it was you felt you felt comfortable and you felt safe, and and you knew that most everybody in there was packing, but there wasn't anybody showing any. There wasn't any rowdiness or silliness and. And uh, hey, DW, uh, so, let yeah. let me let me make a quick comment to that. I remember the first time I went, I went to the owner, Paul Lawrence. I went to him. I, I felt like it was obligatory on my part. I went to him and I said, uh, "Sir, I want you to know that I'm armed, and I'm always armed. If you see me, I have a gun." And he looked at me. You know, I'd only known him for a few minutes, and he looked at me and he said, "Well, let me tell you something, Mike. If you didn't bring a gun, I'd loan you one." <laughs> That's Paul. <laughs> yeah. Well, if it's uh, you, you know you're in good company. It's kind of like when your gun gets stolen. You know, I'll loan you one. Yeah. Bingo. And. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And uh, go ahead, go ahead, Sarge. Yeah, it. Uh, my first time there was last October, and then I went again in the spring, and you know I got a chance to meet D.W. and 
and Mike uh, on, in October, and it was just me and DW in the springtime, unfortunately. But uh, both times was just fantastic. Like like DW said, it was like uh, meeting family you didn't know you had, and you know, especially being from uh, north of the Mason Dixon line. <laughs> uh i kind of figured what wonder what it was going to be like and how i was going to be uh received and uh, everybody was just fantastic you know it was like uh, walking right into family and uh, had a great time just absolutely loved it uh, doing the radio shows from down there and just getting around to rub elbows and talk with folks the coach was phenomenal um johnny rev was great you know everybody stephen whitener uh, everybody was there it was just fantastic and they were all happy to talk with you and you know just have uh, the uh, food was fantastic oh my goodness that brisket in october was amazing but uh what yeah. it though oh man uh, that was forehead food there put a little dab on your forehead <laughs> and your tongue and beat your brains out trying to get to it <laughs> and uh, man it was fantastic just just wonderful time good friends and family and it was about a 10-hour drive for me. It was worth every minute, and that's why I went back in April, and I'm hoping to go back again here in October. Uh, I think it's going to be fantastic again. Just uh, just a wonderful group of people. Um, you feel very, very safe. <laughs> you don't have to worry about anything, really. And uh, even uh, back in April, I had uh, some problems. I had a, a tire that was leaking and had uh, all kinds of help people trying to you know shuttle me around and whatnot trying to get things fixed and all that good stuff and uh just stacy and mike a bit of it yeah stacy and mike were yeah mike yeah. they were fantastic uh, helping us out yeah, yeah well, jim, wonderful. jim one of the things that means so much to me about that is like that song you played coming home because what you witness at the dixie republic is a carbon copy of what I grew up in. I grew up in one of those hollers, as we called it, back in the Appalachian Mountains. Everybody looked out for the other person. Mm -hmm. I mean, it, that was just the way of life. You might not like them. You might not like what they have said. You might not like what they have done. But your duty was to look out for each other. Yeah. And one of the things I will always remember is the primary cash crop in that holler was tobacco. Mm -hmm. And on on Labor Day weekend, which was usually the harvest time, we would have a group of 15, 20, 20 some people, whatever it was in that community, and we would all go, as my grandfather said, to the head of the holler. Yep. And each farm would have 15 or 20 extra hands and we would work our way down that weekend except you know we stopped on Sunday night I mean Saturday night we had a joint uh, get-together for a Christian service on Sunday and then on Monday we'd all get together and by Monday night we would have that holler everyone's uh, crop was in the barn that's great. And that, that was what I grew up in. And I tell you what, folks, you know, we can talk about material possessions. You can talk about this. You can talk about having this, that, or the other. But if you have ever experienced that, to where everybody was a family and everybody looked out for each other, and the closest I have ever been able to duplicate that is the Dixie Fest or 
Dixie, you know, uh, the Dixie Republic, the, the people who are there. Long and way to wrap you know, it up. Thanks so much, Mike. Oh, I didn't realize we were out of time, guys. Yeah, we're My out bad. Of time. Mike, Cal, DW, everybody, thanks so much. See you next week. Take care, everybody. This is the only place you have to live. See you then. Take care and God bless. God bless, folks. Love you all.